The Bill Myers Show podcast is sponsored by Clouser Drilling. They've been leading the way in Southern Oregon well drilling for over 50 years. Find out more about them at clouserdrilling.com. An Oregon high school teacher has filed a federal lawsuit challenging racial discrimination. It's an interesting story. The teacher is from Southwest Oregon, Southern Oregon, here in Medford. And uh, Andrew Quino is an attorney with Pacific Legal Foundation. Pacific Legal Foundation, of course, uh, you people uh, are, are just fighting for rights all the time, Andrew. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us about the uh, story of this Medford school teacher. What is the uh, discrimination suit all about, please? Yeah, well, Tyler Lynn is a high school teacher in uh, Eagle Point, and he teaches Spanish and English language development. Uh, the state of Oregon has a program where they reimburse teachers for obtaining or re- renewing their teaching licenses. Hmm. Uh, so um, Mr. Lynn um, applied for this reimbursement. He paid $192 to get his professional teaching license. And how often do you have to renew that, do you know, off the top of your head? It, it depends on the license. For his license, it's every five years. Every five years. Okay. All right. Yeah, and, and you've got to complete, like, continuing education credits in order to, to um, be able to renew it. Um, but he applied for this, and uh, he was rejected. The The application online essentially told him that he could not get this reimbursement because he was not a diverse teacher. Uh, Oregon defines diverse as uh, basically a an individual who is a racial minority, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, or, or Native American, because Mr. Lin... Uh, is Caucasian. Uh, he was not qualified to receive reimbursement like like his uh, fellow teachers would uh, because they have the right race. Um, so he brought this lawsuit in federal court to vindicate his right to equal protection under the 14th Amendment. I imagine most people just say, hey, 192 bucks, I- I'm not going to you know, get too much involved, but uh, I guess this must have got him uh, kind of spun up. Would that be fair? Yeah, well, you know, Mr. Lin is uh, someone that believes in fairness and equality. He he treats his students uh, with with equality and and with dignity, and he thinks that teachers should be treated the same way by their government. You know, yeah, one hundred ninety two dollars. I think uh, in in today's inflationary terms is is not even a, a grocery bill. But look, there is no dollar amount that allows the government to discriminate. You know, the Supreme Court said last summer uh, eliminating discrimination means eliminating all of it. So that includes uh, reimbursement fees that the government is denying teachers based on their skin color. The government cannot discriminate. Does that also mean, though, that technically government uh, cannot uh, do uh, racial set-asides and contractors, all these things we've heard about for uh, for many, many years here, Andrew, and it's uh, it's all been a part of the 1960s civil right civil right laws have been passed in. It's really kind of metastasized within the legal system. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, no, all all of those laws definitely deserve uh, some so additional scrutiny, a, a second look. There there is a time limit for for laws that use race uh, or use skin color to advantage or disadvantage individuals. Um, you know, racial preferences or set-asides or quotas. And, and again, the Supreme Court um, stated this 
in its in its ruling last summer in Students for Fair Admission. There, there's got to be a logical endpoint to these. There's got to be a time limit, and they can only be used these types of programs um, to remedy specific instances of past discrimination. Uh, we've gotten to a point now where government isn't trying to remedy past discrimination uh, by using racial preferences. They're just using it because they want to achieve diversity or, you know, equity is, is the buzzword now. Mm. Uh, and this program is no different. Um, the the uh, state of Oregon has, has mentioned that what they want to do is they want to achieve a uh, proportionate representation of teachers such that the teaching population uh, looks like the student population. Um, but they can't do that by discriminating against teachers based on skin color. Okay, what evidence I would ask is that for some reason that the teachers looking like the students somehow is there is there evidence that there's a better educational outcome? I'm sure they'll probably come up with some kind of study that says that, but you know where is the so-called okay, I'm going to say where's the science on something like this, Andrew? You start wondering after a while. Right, right, and and we're going to ask the same thing in this lawsuit. We want them to show the evidence that the justifications for this discriminatory policy. Uh, uh, are sound and valid. But, you know, Leah, like you said, they can come up with anything to justify this. And I think it, it really, ultimately, it, it's just a, such a disservice to our students to tell them that the best way for them to learn is uh, through someone that looks like them. It, it, it breaks our common bonds of humanity to say that we have to have people that look like us in order to learn from them. Well, we're seeing this in the what medical. About. Yeah, you know, Andrew, we're seeing this in the medical community, too, in which we're told, well, we have to hire more uh, doctors of color, so to speak, you know, so that way people of color can can have better medical outcomes. It's like you know, my mother, we ended up going into uh, Providence a few weeks ago, and she was treated by uh, by an Indian doctor. And it's kind of like, all right, what should we have demanded a white doctor, you know, because she's white? You, know, you get to this point where when is this going to end? This is just getting crazy. It's getting crazier, not getting better at this point in time. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. And it's affecting every industry. This this drive of having a uh, a, a workforce that instead of having the best people doing the job, it's, it's got to be people that look like you. I, I never had a teacher that looked exactly like me. I think I turned out okay. Yeah. And then I think it's important for, for students to know that, that, you know, it, as, as long as you're, you're getting the right lessons and getting the right education, it shouldn't matter uh, what the people who are teaching you look like. Andrew Quino is with me, and he is with the Pacific, the Pacific rather Legal Foundation, Pacific Legal Foundation, PacificLegal.org. Great group, and you're going out there and defending people, uh, people's rights all the time. And this uh, Medford area teacher, of course, Eagle Point teacher is what you were saying. Uh, Tyler is uh, involved with this. What are the damages you're asking for? What's the ask out of the uh, federal courts? Yeah, so what we're asking for is simply for them to enjoin the discriminatory eligibility. Uh, Mr. Lin's not even asking for the actual reimbursement. He's simply being asked, or he's simply asking for the right to apply for this program on equal footing uh, with other teachers. Uh, and obviously, it would be great for, for him to get the reimbursement, but this is about fairness at the end of the day. Uh, so we're asking the courts to um, stop the discriminatory eligibility um, and make this program and implement this program so that it doesn't look at uh, race or skin color. 
Andrew, I'm going to ask you a philosophical question. I don't know if this is something that over at Pacific Legal they talk about. I can't help but think that what we have seen since the enacting of civil rights law of the 1960s, the past uh, 60 years or so that we've been having to deal with this, that, that it's almost been a con... How do I put this? Uh, I've mentioned this before. It's kind of like civil rights law almost seems to be a anti-constitutional condom put over the Constitution. In other words, protecting people from the Constitution. Has that ever been talked about within the legal world? It's like, you know, there is this freedom of association, but you can't have freedom of association unless you can say no. Right. You know, so, you know, civil rights law tends to uh, turn the Constitution upside down. Which Constitution do we live under right now? I guess I'm I'm throwing a lot at you. Is, is there any talk about that within Pacific Legal? Yeah, and and I guess just to extend the analogy, you've you've got to uh, practice safe constitutionalism. Um, and and look, the, I think you know circumstances have have changed. Mm-hmm. And um, if you look at the original meaning of of the Fourteenth Amendment, uh, it didn't apply to just uh, you know, one one type of person or, or uh, one race or one skin color, uh, it was equal protection uh, for all. Um, all people were, were afforded equal protection. Uh, There's certainly an argument to be made um, during the the rise of these civil rights laws that yes, there were there were populations that that were overlooked that uh, should get some some remedy. Uh, in, in that instance, the remedy that was based on skin color because of the circumstances at the time. Uh, but we have gotten to a point where we can now safely say, um, or at least we've, we've gotten far enough to safely say that you, you can't eliminate discrimination with more discrimination. Now you're just at a point where you're perpetuating the very problem that you were trying to eliminate. It's, t- it's being turned into a reverse racial spoils system. Of sorts, in which uh, you know people have a anchor uh, put on them because of one particular uh, skin color, and then a different uh, politically preferred skin color, the anchor is taken off, and you know this is how we're we're going to do it. But of course, we're also in a world right now in which uh, biological men are beating the tar out of females, and we're all supposed to sit around and uh, and salute the lie somehow. Boy, this is this is tough in the legal world, isn't it? This kind of uh, where culture and, uh, and the law meet. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's, it's this, this tension, this universal persisting tension between the individual and, and the group. Um, and, and there is a tendency that, that you alluded to, to to look at people and make certain assumptions about them, whether it's because of, of race or because of gender. Um, but if we just look at people on an individual level, that would be a lot better for our, our rights and, and our interaction with government. You know, you, you can say that people have had gone through certain struggles because of the color of their skin, but that's very imprecise and, and stereotypical. Um, if we look at an individual level, you know, then maybe we can ask, okay, what have you gone through specifically? Are, are you more deserving or less deserving of something like a license reimbursement based on your individual experience? regardless of, of what you look like, what your skin color is. Uh, we just got to go back to uh, a point in time when, when we are looked at individually uh, and our individual backgrounds. Are you looking at this in, in, in a legal form? You know, Tyler Lynn's case that you have uh, here before you, that you're working. Should it be where either the state of Oregon 
can allow all teachers to get the reimbursement or none get it? Is that kind of the ask here? I want to make sure that I understand that deeply. Yeah, I think that the ideally it would be a situation where all Oregon teachers can apply for this reimbursement and whether they get it depends on on their individual circumstances uh, and and not based on their skin color. So I, I think ideally, if if the state of Oregon said, you know, we've got this reimbursement program, we're we're going to give it to you depending on maybe uh, what you're teaching, um, mm-hmm. if there's a need for for whatever classes you're teaching. So in this case, Mr. Lynn teaches Spanish. There is a drastic shortage of bilingual teachers. Um, there's a there's a program that would be constitutional because they're looking they're looking at need. They're not looking at skin color. Um, so I think a program like that would absolutely be in, would be constitutional. That would make sense. That makes sense. Okay, we need more Spanish teachers, so we'll pay the licensing fee for Spanish teachers. Being a Spanish teacher, you know, you could be any color. It happens all the time, right? I get right. that. All right, exactly. That's the way you can uh, fulfill the uh, perceived need, as the case might be. What I'm kind of curious about, though, is that all teachers with the union contracts are paid the same rate for the most part. Isn't that the case? I mean, there are some differences with experience and such, but everybody works under the same deal. So how can anybody make a case that somehow you don't have enough diverse because of the lack of $192? You all getting paid the same, you know, for the same kind of work from what I understand. Where am I wrong on that? I, I, I And I think it it might depend on on the district you're in, there might mm-hmm. be some some different cost of living adjustments, et cetera. Um, and and I I think the as far as the the reimbursement goes, I, I'm not I'm not quite sure how that would all factor in with with union contracts and everything. Um, but you know, I mean, whatever barriers that that teachers unions are creating, that's going to be a, a whole different conversation for another day, and we can go into great detail about about some of the uh, the challenges that that presents as well. All right. Well, I appreciate the update on this. And is there any idea when you might get a ruling out of the federal courts for Tyler Lynn? Uh, well, we're hoping for for some decision by the end of the summer, um, one as, as soon as possible. The, the program only covers license reimbursements or license renewals up to uh, July of this year. Okay. Uh, so we would like the court to to make a decision um, before that, uh, before this program ends. And the title of the case, by the way, is Lynn v. Goff, and was filed in U.S. District Court for the District of Oregon. And uh, we have, uh, once again, Andrew Quino. Thank you very much for explaining this. And uh, Pacific, Pacific Legal Foundation, you take up lots of cases like this for people who don't know. Uh, what kind of law does the uh, group really engage in it's quite interesting yeah uh so we've we have really three areas of of the law that we focus on uh there's the equality and opportunity area that's where this case uh, arises from that deals with discrimination that deals with uh challenges or barriers to economic opportunity uh then we've got the separation of powers uh division um that's goes after government for for going beyond the scope of of the powers that they're given under the Constitution. Uh, And then we've got, of course, our property rights division uh, that protects uh, 
people's property rights. Yeah, you've done yeoman's work on all three of those, and I appreciate you working with uh, Tyler Lynn in this particular case, too. Find out more. Please support PacificLegal.org, Pacific Legal Foundation. Andrew Quino, thank you so much for explaining it, and uh, best of luck. Let's get a big win out of this, okay? Thanks again. Thanks so much, Bill. 729 at KMED and KCMD. The Bill Myers Show is where you're waking up. We've heard it all. That ditch was way too close to the road. You know, fifth-wheel trailers, man, they are terrible on tailgates. Next time I see a yield sign, I'm just going to stop. Better gauge the wind speed before you open the car door. But the reason you need auto body repair doesn't matter to us as much as making your car look new again and the process easy for you. At Lithia Body and Paint, we've been getting Southern Oregon drivers back on the road since 1946. Speed, service, accuracy. That's Lithia Body and Paint. On Bullock Road in Medford. One of each sold VIN 909407 MSRP 2615 due sportage VIN 69157 MSRP 3390 due 10K miles per year zero security deposit all incentives and discounts to dealer plus tax title license 150 registration processing fee trading in a vehicle will not eliminate your debt negative equity applied to new loan balance ends 22924 with brand new Kias starting at 149 a month it's time to get more in 24 at Kia Medford more savings more selection more for your trade rush in now get a new 2024 Kia Soul LX automatic just one. 49 a month lease for a new 2024 Kia Sportage LX all-wheel drive. Only $199 a month lease, both for 24 months. Ready to get out of your current lease or loan? Once we make a deal, we'll pay off your trade no matter how much you owe. Need credit? Go to KiaMedford.com to get pre-approved in less than 30 seconds with no effect on your credit score. Get more in 24 with Souls $149 a month. Sportages $199 a month at Kia Medford. Click KiaMedford.com. Hi, it's John at Wellburns Weapons. The only thing better than shooting is shooting with a suppressor. Wellburns is Southern Oregon's suppressor headquarters, stocking models from Silencer Code, Dead Air, Griffin Armament, Rugged, Q, Thunderbeast, and many more. And we can order practically any suppressor on the market. Check in with us for monthly incentives to save on suppressors too. Come see the suppressor experts. Wellburns Weapons on Crater Lake Highway, just south of White City. The Bill Myers Show, 106.3 KMED, 99.3 KCMD. Deplorable Patrick, you wanted to weigh in on the court case, which Pacific Legal is taking on for Tyler Lynn, Eagle Point uh, school teacher. Go ahead. Hey, Bill, it comes down to one thing. It's the same thing all the time. Unaccountability. These people can put forth unconstitutional, illegal policies, cost us, cost the system, Mm -hmm. cost Mr. Lynn, Costs everybody except them. They face no consequences for putting out stuff that's illegal and get, and blows back on them. They keep their job. They go right on. We need to find a way to make them accountable for all these unconstitutional, ridiculous laws. They could get fired in my perfect world for putting out stuff that's blatantly unconstitutional. I would also dare say, not just firing, but you lose your purrs. Nothing, I think, nothing would sharpen the mind more quickly, I think, than losing your pension. How about that? Keep in mind, they don't care. They're just sitting there pushing this stuff out. Well, well, they don't have to. There's no downside for them, the way they see it. Yeah, that's okay? exactly the problem. All right. Uh, and maybe that's something to do, all right? Appreciate the call, as always, Patrick. We're going to check the rest of the news here in just a moment. State Senator Dennis Linthicum will join the program then. We'll get the latest from the Marble Nuthouse. The Mar- Maybe we should just call it that, the Marble Nuthouse Update. With so many working and doing business from home, it's good to know there's a... But due to- 
Appreciate you being wherever you are. 1067. 1063, by the way, is the main channel now for uh, KMD. KMD and KMD HD1 and 99.3 KCMD if you're in Grants Pass in Joe County. Streamed on KMD.com. And State Senator Dennis Linthicum rejoins the program. And uh, I, I think we're just going to call you the head of the uh, the Marble Nuthouse update for Wednesday. I, oh, <laughs> how you doing, great. Senator? Welcome back, huh? <laughs> yeah. Good. It's uh, it's good to be here. Thanks for allowing time in the morning. It, it, you know, there are so many things happening in so many different committees. It's really hard to come up with a report. I, I enjoy writing newsletters and, you know, weighing in with detail on some of these things. And um, and yet there are so many of them, you, you, you know, it, and I think that's actually part of the problem is yeah. we have become so uh, so government centric. Government uh, manages and handles everything and they want to get involved in people claim, quote, it's for the constituency. For example, this morning you started with the um, keeping a generic or keeping a prescription insulin to thirty five dollars. I mean, it sounds really good, and you'll always get a corrupted people that will say, "Hey, yeah, this is great because it uh, it benefits me." But, uh, but once again, this well, is this is government being the market, though, right? Right, and and it 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 actually, I, I started this going. Uh, I I use insulin. I've seen the price rise. I've been using insulin for more than fifty years. When I started, it came from the slaughterhouse. It was uh, bovine, equine, or porcine from pork mm -hmm. uh, insulin that came from the slaughterhouse. All the pancreases were cleaned up off the uh, the out of the slaughterhouse and you know, put into a, a process where they were in a centrifuge and pulled the insulin cells out. So that's how they did it back then. Okay. That's yeah. how they did it back then. I injected, you know, this stuff daily for 20 years. And then um, the, the, um, the biologics came into being or, or biosimilars or genetically modified Human insulin was put into, of all things, E. coli bacteria, and E. coli bacteria now generates, you know, ins human insulin. It's real human insulin, and it, you know, I have no idea what the vat looks like. I, I'm imagining a great big beer vat, you know, like like you see at the local brewery. You I, know. you know, I didn't know that's how they were doing. I, I haven't paid attention to insulin. I just know that it's been expensive for many people. But still getting down to the uh, core of it, the the whole idea that uh, everybody's just always going to the legislature. Well, and, and this is even back with Eric Peters, the talk about Elon Musk. And people are wondering why things are so screwed up. And, Senator, I think you'd be the first to agree. Government is the market now for everything. Yeah. Really? Very much so, especially healthcare. Government has overrun the healthcare system. It's about twenty to twenty-five percent of the economy, and we spend more on healthcare. and um, And our ex life expectancy just went down because of the COVID panic, and the uh, uh, you know falsehoods that were perpetrate pepper pep 
No, you were right. Perpetrated. You were right. Perpetrated. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 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 By the government. I mean, the the markings on the floor stand six feet apart. That was completely false. The plexiglass while you were in the grocery store, uh, that was a lie. That was completely false. The masking on your own head was completely false and unnecessary. And the government created a market for it. Trillions of dollars, we estimate $1.6 trillion were spent. That's part of my um, grand jury pursuit. Um, but but on, on the insulin thing, it, where they put, the, they put the onus on the insurance company, the insurance company can't pay... Uh, well, they can't charge you more than $35 a month for a month supply. Yeah, so, but right? that's at the insurance side. At the manufacturer, you know, development uh, side of the fence, they they're not touching any of that because those are the big those are the big pharma players, and they don't want to hurt them. Now, imagine let let's say insulin today is 300 bucks, and they can only charge you 30 35. Where does the other dollar value come from? Where where do you get it from? And if insulin spiked, let's say there's a, a plant, you know, has a malfunction, the FDA shuts it down or terrorists blow it up. Now there's shortages and prices go up and insulin now costs a thousand dollars a vial, which I I agree, you know, I couldn't afford that. Yeah. But if that were to happen and they can only charge $35, we've just stripped the entire market economy out from under this um, this this uh, injectable. Yeah, well, th- I mean, think Where of Where does it get made up? Where does yeah, it- well, it gets made up by everybody else paying for, for insulin is what it is. Everybody else who's part of the insurance mafia, right? Isn't that really what we're talking about, honestly? Well, that that is what we're talking. What we're talking about is every. See, the claim is constituents. This is life-saving uh, medicine that mm-hmm. these constituents need and they can't afford. And government says, "I'll step in and save your life." Well, where does it stop, Senator? I mean, I'm. I mean, I've been a heavy fellow for my entire life, with rare exceptions. All right. Uh, should I then go to the state legislature and say, listen, I want uh, $35 a month Ozempic, and, which right. costs several thousand dollars a month from what I understand. You know, it's a very expensive drug. Should I be able to demand that? Because it'll, it'll help save my life. I'll be able to lose well, uh, 40, well, right. 50 pounds like every, every, uh, every Pop-Tart on television these days is doing. Yeah, and, and you know, Madison, Madison, way back in the beginning, the founders, they knew this. Madison says, wherever the real power of government lies, there is the danger of oppression. Yep. And, and what he's talking about, and he continues, in our government, the real power lies in the majority. And the invasion of private rights is chiefly not from government on its own, but from its constituents, the acts of government. The, the government, he says, is the mere instrument of the number of the majority number of constituents. But you know well that uh, that Senator Jeff Golden, who was on his uh, virtual town hall yesterday, and he was talking about how this insulin bill was a good deal. Well, naturally, you're going to be able to sell that. You're going to be able to sell that as as a good because people will automatically say, "Okay, I'm going to pay less." I I so this is good. You know, this is a good thing. 
But there's never any thought given to the long-term damage that happens to the system when everybody figures that all I have to do is just buy my favorite state legislator and uh, and get a and get well, a sweetheart and, bill and, going and in there. And that's why yeah, that's exactly why we see uh the effort to um to get that's why we see so much money being spent on legislative races. Uh, that's why we see so many people scrambling to um, get into the legislature. And that's also why the union spent so much money to uh, to fool the people on Measure 113, to get people like you bounced out of the legislature. Because you right. you would dare bring up the uh, fact that, hey, I'm sorry, guys, uh, you know, this uh, democratically controlled uh, government, emperor has no clothes. So, you know, they can't win the argument, and so they just want to just get you out of office is what they're doing. Well, uh, yeah, and, uh, and it, it's been ex- effective. In our, in our federal court case, the, the federal court, uh, the, the judge sitting there, the justice in this case, made the claim that if you had an employee, you ran a, a – um, a, civil engineering firm and you had a civil engineer who wasn't willing to come to work um that you had the right to fire him therefore the state has the right to fire us okay well then we should be able to fire every single public employee who ever does a work stoppage or slowdown but that won't happen will it well right and and it's convenient that he didn't you know jump into the union bowl he just used that one employee who was a you know a woebegone individual Oh I know some... but yeah but what a false argument because the unions right. were the ones that pushed 113 and fooled them they still have their right to strike but a senator yeah. or a, a state legislator does not in order well, to make a right. point and the deny other... quorum Mm-hmm. The other mistake they make in that argument is um, we aren't, quote, employed by the state. I'm not there to work for the state. I'm there to work for my constituents. constituents. Yes. And so the, if look at if my constituents want to fire me, great. They can fire me. They can vote for Diane instead. But um, but as it is now, the state is saying they can't. Um, they th- that I can't. I'm not even qualified. Yeah. They sent me. They sent me my application, my filing paperwork back, and said, Senator Linthicum, you're not qualified to be a senator. And they gave me my $25 filing fee, and you know, essentially, the Secretary of State has thrown me off the ballot because I'm not playing along with their game where everybody just agrees and we kumbaya ourselves right off the cliff. Yeah. State Senator Linthicum with me this morning. We'll set that aside here at the moment, Senator, because, uh, yeah, we've whipped this one a lot. And uh, and believe me, we can continue to to whip this. But it does. Re- measure 113 was another example like Measure 110 and Measure 114 in which essentially feeble minded people were persuaded uh, by uh, by essentially whether it's George Soros type uh, arguments, which were made. And that was a George Soros uh, people bill uh, measure 110, uh, whether you got the corrupt state public unions on measure 113. And then, of course, the the totally corrupt uh, gun control people, you know, in this state on measure 114. And I guess now they're they're trying to appeal that one. It's just like the total state, the total state that they're trying to make this state. 
Yeah, and you know, it's not so much the people were feeble-minded; they 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 were successfully fooled with the with the ads. Look, at Republicans have long been about holding um, government accountable, keeping their feet to the fire. But I would dare say I I disagree with you a little bit on this, and this is why. The Republican Party did not really stand up against 113, and I think it's because uh, there's a whole bunch of Republicans that wanted the conservatives, the one of the principled people like you and Senator Thatcher, out of the way because uh, it was too uncomfortable to deal with people like you and Kim standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is tyranny, guys, this is tyranny. And so uh, that's why I think they said nothing during that time when 113 was out. I seriously believe that. Okay. Yeah, and the the real shame is it it never even showed. There was never even a statement in the voters' pamphlet uh, against it. I that, well, that's what told me that that's what told me that the fix was in. That there was that corrupt side of the uh, GOP that was just as happy to have people like you and Art Robinson and uh, Kim Thatcher gone because, uh, in other words, you were the voice of conscience and constitutional. You know, that's uh, and they didn't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They just want to go along, get along and uh, bring home the grift to the uh, districts, I suppose. It's it's really cynical statement of mine. But I always figured that's really why no one would said anything back then. Yeah. And the 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 cynicism is what we see happening. This is why everybody's running to government to um, interfere. If if I had to sell. Um, hamburgers, I would have to convince a a bunch of people uh, to buy my burgers because they're square, they're rounder, they're Mm -hmm. bigger, they're juicy or something. And if I go to the Capitol and I get them to implement a must purchase, you know, from my company kind of policy, I only have to convince 16 senators well, this is easy to convince 16 guys. I could bring them hamburgers every day for the entire session, and pretty soon they'd be fat and happy, and they'd be willing to go along with my plan for making uh, Oregonians healthier by eating grass-fed beef or whatever <laughs> the scheme was. And what that, what that, instead of getting into the marketplace and fighting for my fair share of market value and, and being kind and courteous to my customers and attracting them back because of my low prices and the quality of my beef and the uh, custom made burgers. Oh no, that that's have- out. That's out. It's it, which it's who can you grift, <clears throat> who can get in on the grifting and the government grift here. But you know, that's not just an Oregon problem though, is it? It really is. Uh, it's systemic of the United States administrative state right now. It's a much larger issue. Oregon is just what our, our closest relative, you know, with the disease, so to speak. Would that be fair? Yeah, it it is fair. This is exactly what you see when when Republicans side with the Obama administration, excuse me, Biden administration on the border deal, side, right? And, and they do two point four trillion dollar, you know, spending bill because quote it'll grow the economy or whatever. And then of course you have a hundred billion dollars or so for Ukraine and in uh, Taiwan, but you can't come up with a deal to really close the United States. States border. You know, you can't go there, right? That's too controversial. Hmm. Well, yeah, that uh, man, what a tough job that would be. Yeah, indeed. Senator, uh, a couple of other things I wanted to touch on. Um, 
if there's a good bill presented by a Republican, it's not going to go through this session for the most part. We know that. That's just the, right. the, the way it is. Okay. But, um, you know, are you okay with that right to repair bill that is uh, moving, apparently? I don't know if you were involved with that or it was on your committee or not. It, it, it's not been on my committee, and we've had a lot of discussions about it. Um, the, the voiding of the warranty is the tricky part of the thing. As you, as you talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, when you're in there with your own little soldering iron and you goof up, you know, what, what do you do at that point? Is the whole thing washed out? You know, how do you get it repaired? Yeah, yeah I get that. But, but yeah, I don't think the manufacturer should be responsible for you screwing up a repair, you know, and I get that. But this idea, though, that these companies, you know, own, you know, you buy the phone or you buy the electronic device, but yet uh, you have to get it repaired by them or else. And, and they won't let you have any parts or, you know, nothing's reasonable. I can understand why Apple uh, objected to this because, you know, Apple, frankly, is the biggest and and richest, uh, you know, grifter in the room, as far as I'm concerned, on this kind of behavior. So I, I know th- this is actually one of those times in which I'm thinking, OK, maybe the legislature is right on this one, because this whole idea that you can't get parts, you can't do anything yourself, you either you have to send it into them or else. And it's... Uh, you know, it, right, and this is this has been uh, on the uh, on the docket for three years running. It hasn't made it um, th- through yet. It almost made it last year, and um, and it looks like it it has a lot of backing this year. The oh, it's interesting. The two players are Apple's on the negative side of this. They're not looking forward to this, but uh, Google is is on the positive side of this. They're saying, sure, we're game for this. And those are the two big, small electronic technology Uh, providers. Well, look at why they're doing that, too, because Google is more open source. Android is open source for the most part. And the uh, Apple iOS is completely locked down within their their ecosystem. And that's it. That's all. Right. And and there's all kinds of proprietary things. Now, even um, like Eric Peters would be familiar with this, there are some some vehicles or when it comes to ag um, equipment, large scale farming equipment, uh, you need a special tool to reach in there and get that and crank that thing off or, you know, pry that thing open or whatever. And those tools uh, under this have to be made available, too. So, And that's is, okay. Just, I consider that a good thing. That truly is. That truly is a good out there, well, a good well, use of it government. It, it, it would increase competition. You now not only can go to the dealer, like today with any automobile, you can take it to the dealer and they'll do a repair job, or you can take it to Smitty's and and they'll they'll do a repair job. They're, they'll cost more. They'll take le, they'll take less time. They'll order the same quality parts, or they'll buy a third party aftermarket part. Whatever those choices are, those are valid choices for all of us when it comes to repairing a, an automobile, why can't we do that with these other products? Yeah, but it's been made difficult even in the uh, in the world of, uh, of Kelly's Automotive or American Rencher Garage. You know, uh, the independents have, have had a really tough time because, you know, you'd have the manufacturers that more or less withhold the ability or, uh, or, or make the cost of a diagnostic tool so onerous as to essentially uh, prevent any kind of competition to that. And so, I mean, 
I, I see both sides of this, but uh, ultimately, I think people you know should have the ability to repair their own stuff if it really is their own stuff, because otherwise we're just going to go down that road further, uh, Senator, in which uh, you will own nothing and you will be happy. You'll just rent it from uh, the mega corporations of uh, of uh, of Team World. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Know, that well, kind of thing. And, and that's, you know, we see that even with software. Remember, mm-hmm. you and I used to buy software on a CD-ROM and we'd install it on our computer and we own that thing. And uh, software is no longer, you know, every year you get an update to, you know, your word processor. And every year you got to pay for the upgrade or you go, I'm going to skip it this year. And then stuff stops working and you go, oh, it's broken. And then you go get that new copy. But every year there's a new version of it. Every year there's an update. And every year they cost you because you're essentially renting it. Um, and they pretend you own it because you installed it on your machine, but they they own all the rights. And um, and when something goes brokey, you don't have the ability to fix it. Mm. You know, the one thing that that kind of behavior from uh, from Mega Corp America or Mega World Corp America will do is that there are more people out there. And I know it. I mean, I, I don't take part in this, but I know they're cracking software all the time. They're hacking it and just saying, nope, not, not going to play your game. <laughs> and they're cracking the protections on it. That's what happens. It's a, a natural reaction to a, uh, a corporate tyranny of sorts. Hey, uh, before we take off here, Senator, I wanted to ask you quickly here. The consensus on Measure 110, is there any consensus on how to fix that ridiculously horrible, not-so-good bill at all that will actually make things better in your view? Any thoughts on that? Well, right, right now we we've got two. There's two things happening. One, Metro has asked to recriminalize um, uh, drug possession uh, and and all all of the items that were uh, decriminalized. So that's Metro in Portland, right? Multnomah yeah, County yeah, wants so that. It, and it's so it's fascinating. Metro in Portland. If you're riding the Metro, you're riding a public uh, transit bus or something, or you're even at a bus stop. You know, because Metro owns the little square of sidewalk where the bus stop bench is, that it, it would be criminalized within that zone. But if you're, you know, scoot out of that zone fast enough, then the cops can't, you know, hmm. fine you. They'd give you an e-ticket instead of a, a misdemeanor. And and so you realize in, in your head, anybody with a logical brain says, well, that won't work. Nope. And but if Metro is asking for it from downtown Portland, Multnomah County, Metro is saying we need to recriminalize this because our ridership is plummeting because people are scared to ride our public buses because of the horror that's occurring within that um, system by all of these individuals who are high or on drugs or dangerous or violent or not right-minded, all of those descriptions apply. And um, if Metro is seeking that, then the public isn't far behind. There's a there's- Yeah, that tells you. That tells you that, that that's where the people are moving. And legislators don't really lead. They're, they're really usually reacting to what constituents are asking for, okay? That's just the, the way it is. It's human nature. So let me ask you then— do you believe that this state legislature then will be considerably tougher 
on um, on on recriminalizing drug use as rather than uh, going the Senator Jeff Golden's uh, way of of saying, well, we wouldn't want to be too hard and we don't want to be sending people back to jail again. Where do you see the trend? How do you see it play? Well, right now, Republicans are arguing for recriminalization and um, in its full gusto and glory. And um, and I, I realize that the, the Democrats aren't there. So they're, they're trying to figure out how, how do we make this behavior, mm. behavior that people shouldn't engage in. And I, I think what the, what the Democrats really miss out on is they miss out on the moral high ground. The moral high ground, instead of you and I pretending it's cool to be high and playing, you know, uh, the the songs that are, you know, about being Yeah, high. and cutting to the chase here, Senator, the moral high ground is not us sending millions of dollars to the stabbing wagons of the world and helping people stay addicted. That is not, that's not the moral high ground. And, and the no, Democratic no, uh, people in control of leg- legislature have to, have, to come to, have to come to Jesus over that. Yeah, yeah too, too many lives are destroyed by doing that. We pretend we're being compassionate to that individual, but we actually destroy his family life. We destroy his relationship with his, his uh, spouse or children or others in a close f- sphere of insulin influence. We also destroy the relationship with his business environment, his employment opportunities. All of that gets destroyed because we thought uh, he would enjoy a fun time on Friday night. It doesn't work like that. And so we have to build prudence and moral value back into the heart and soul of the individual. And it has to start at grade school level. Yeah, but I pray that in this particular session, that some prudence and uh, and 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 moral aspect of this be brought to the arguments about Measure 110, because if you're just looking at this uh, through libertine lenses, which I think a, a lot of the state legislature is doing, they're not going to fix it this time around. Okay, hey, I'm uh, I'm out of time at this point, but I always appreciate the talk. It was good talk, Senator. Okay, I always appreciate us uh, winding around on this one, and you'll keep us informed. Going to have time to write a, a newsletter anytime soon. Uh- yeah, I'm working on it, man. Okay. I, 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 Diane keeps trying to find me a, a a bit of slack time where I can sit down and think. All right, you do that. We'll talk soon. Okay. You take care. Bye-bye. State Senator Linthicum. It's a couple minutes after 8, KMED, KMED HD1, Eagle Point, Medford, KCMD, Grants Pass, Translator, K298.